All right, everybody. It is Thursday, August 3rd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news, all the indictments, and read from the lines <laughs> so you don't have to. Most, you're back in New York and the relative cool weather compared to what it was in Texas. Uh, how was your trip? Yeah, I dropped about 30 degrees between Texas and New York. Uh, we were having a very temperate, uh, pretty nice August so far, knock on wood. I don't want to jinx us. <laughs> two days uh, in. <laughs> two, two days in, uh, looking pretty good. Uh, trip was good. Um, I don't know how many of your parents are like this, but uh, my mom has kept uh, probably every paper I wrote, uh, every project I did uh, starting in elementary school. And so went through a couple boxes uh, while I was down there. And uh, first I found the printout of the weather maps I got when I visited WGN, the local news station in Chicago when I was seven years old and already decided I wanted to be a weatherman. Um, and then I found a separate paper I should or essay I wrote in fourth grade with really great handwriting, by the way. My cursive was really, I have to compliment <laughs> myself. It's gone straight downhill. <laughs> it's not legible anymore, I have no. to say. As somebody who gets handwritten envelopes <laughs> from you, <laughs> it has gone downhill. It's gone downhill since the early 90s. Anyway, <laughs> bottom line is I wrote this essay in the early 90s saying, uh, everyone take care of the environment. I'm really worried about the environment and global warming. And I lay out like, here's what happens if we don't do anything. And I begin with, we're going to have to remain indoors a lot because it's going to be way too hot outside. And I'm like, wow, little nine-year-old Mosh, you had some you had some foresight there, or at least somebody was telling you that. You were ahead of your time, <laughs> for real. Though, interestingly, the other thing I was really worried about, and I think all of us of that age were, uh, was the ozone layer. Remember, the ozone layer was like, it's the end of the world with the ozone layer. And that actually, due to man changing you know, the aerosols and the various things we were spraying to the environment, the ozone layer is almost completely closed up at this point. So it does go to show you, I mean, two different situations, but that humans can change once they see that, uh, you know, what they're doing to the environment is damaging it. A human-made problem probably has a human-made solution. Most of our problems do have human-made solutions. All right, let's get to some headlines here. What to expect when President Trump gets arraigned this afternoon? Speaking of the environment, the truth about what happens to our plastic garbage and why the EPA wants to change the recycling symbol. The Pittsburgh synagogue shooter has been sentenced to death for carrying out the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in American history. We know smartphones, not good for our kids. What China is looking to do about it. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced that he and his wife are separating. Finally, some progress. The Writers Union and Studios agree to resume talks after three months of striking. That'll happen on Friday. And finally, our favorite story of the day. Is it a real bear? Or is it a person in a bear suit? A China zoo is insisting that it is a real bear, but you can be the judge. We will bring you the latest viral debate, Jill, and uh, the results of our online poll. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, it turns out that August 3rd uh, is the date for two of the most viral songs in history, and they both stick in your head and never go away. <laughs> uh, I, I promise, though, we will not play both of them, but we may play one of them for you today. All right, something to look out for this afternoon. Former President Trump expected to be arraigned in federal court in D.C. at 4 p.m. Eastern time. As of late last night, there was still a debate as to whether he was going to be appearing in person 
or virtually. As we reported yesterday, he has been indicted on four felony charges for allegedly trying to overturn the 2020 election results in which he lost the race to Joe Biden. That 45-page indictment lays out the case against him on charges of conspiracy and obstruction. We'll link to it again in our show notes if you'd like to read it for yourself. As for what we can expect today, Trump will likely hear the charges against him and enter a plea of not guilty. We've remarkably been here before when Trump was arraigned back in June in that classified documents probe in Florida and then in April on business fraud charges in New York City. And just like those cases, he will not be appearing on camera. This is federal court. And so uh, there will be no cameras in the courtroom. We'll probably get some sketches. We might get a couple different sketches with various renditions of what the president looks like. I know that's always a, a debate online. The last court appearance, there's somebody who made him look more like he was in his 50s and then one who made him look like he was in his 80s. So that's something for us to talk about tomorrow. In the meantime, though, uh, we should talk about the judge here. The case has been assigned to U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkum. Uh, she's an Obama appointee, though she will not be overseeing today's proceeding. That's going to go to a different magistrate. Uh, Chutkum was randomly assigned this. They have a process in federal court where they do uh, random assignments based on availability. The randomness is meant uh, to prevent prosecutors from shopping around for people they think will be uh, sympathetic to their case. Keep in mind, by the way, the federal judge in the classified records case down in Florida is a Trump appointee who some on the left are concerned uh, might be too biased in favor of him. And then here in D.C., you have this Obama appointee that uh, some in the Trump orbit uh, believe is biased against him. Incidentally, she has uh, dealt with a number of January 6 prosecutions and has been known to be going above the sentencing uh, recommendations. She appears to be taking January 6th very seriously. Uh, the lawyers and advisors of Donald Trump have been out far and wide on various media networks in the past 24 hours. On Wednesday morning, his attorney, John Loro, you've probably seen him on a few different networks. He said on CBS that he will argue Trump has a smoking gun of innocence. Loro said Trump was following the advice of his attorney, John Eastman, who Loro described as a constitutional scholar. Uh, in essence here, Jill, their argument is Trump didn't know any better. He was just going with his lawyer's advice. He didn't know he was breaking the law. And so it's going to require Jack Smith to prove that Trump knowingly knew the law. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, in the indictment, they do lay out uh, that he was told, Mr. President, you might be breaking the law here. Uh, but it appears at least one of the arguments they might use is he actually didn't know. He was breaking the law. Uh, the other thing that's going to come up here is, underpinning Trump's argument is whether he knew election fraud was a lie. The Trump team is arguing, no, Trump genuinely believes he won the election. Uh, they're going to have to argue that he knew this was a lie. And that's why perpetrating this conspiracy, this obstruction is uh, all the more harmful because he knew better. Again, the Trump team, it appears, is going to argue, no, Trump genuinely believed that millions of illegals voted, that fraud was committed in all these states. He believed all these things that his people were saying. So there's no crime here. He was just saying what he believed. This is a free speech case. So that'll be interesting to watch. One of the people, by the way, making that argument, co-conspirator number one, Rudy Giuliani, uh, as we know him now, he's been on a, a few media networks uh, talking about this, or I should say shouting about this. Here's a clip of him on Newsmax. This one will be your legacy violating the right of free speech of an American citizen, never mind whether he was president or not. It could be anybody. It could be a homeless person. You don't get to violate people's First Amendment rights, Smith, no matter who the hell you are or no matter how sick you are with Trump derangement syndrome. 
And this isn't the first time you've acted like an unethical lawyer. It should be the last. That was America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, uh, making his case here. He believes that Jack Smith should be indicted for the indictment. Uh, Keep in mind, Rudy Giuliani was a lawyer. He's been disbarred or there's been conversations about him being disbarred uh, in regards to this. And there's a feeling out there that based on what they allege here, that he could go from co-conspirator to somebody with an actual indictment sometime in the next few weeks or months. And that's a fear or concern that all the co-conspirators should have. Jill, one thing to watch in this case over time will be these four charges, these four counts, uh, to effectively break the mold here, two pretty traditional. Uh, one of the charges actually uses a law that dates back to the 1870s that was written for the KKK that was violating black people's right to vote. Uh, It's been interpreted for modern times here. Uh, I go into details here on the charges over on the Mo News Premium Instagram account. You can join that over at mo.news to get access to that extra account where you can ask questions and we're doing a deep dive um, on those charges. And it's going to be pretty interesting to watch which of these the judge and jury buy here and which ones might be dismissed or at least Trump might be found not guilty on. All right. And now for a story that's gotten a ton of reaction on our Instagram account. We want to talk about plastic and how little of it actually gets recycled. So much so that the EPA now says that that, uh, quote, chasing arrows logo, those three arrows in the form of a triangle, which is universally recognized as a sign to recycle. Well, the EPA says it should be replaced because it is deceptive and misleading. And that is because, according to a new study, only about 5% of plastic is actually recycled. The vast majority of it ends up in landfills and our oceans. Now, if you've ever looked closely at the Chasing Arrows logo, you'll notice that there is a small number inside of it. It is called a Resin Identification Code, or an RIC. Kate O'Neill, who's a professor at Berkeley, telling CBS News that the numbers were there to communicate to the people who are sorting the plastics how recyclable they are on a scale of one to seven. So one and two are for the hard plastics found in things like containers and bottles, and numbers three through seven are for things that are more difficult to recycle. She says that the chasing arrows went wrong because consumers basically started to see it as a message that everything with that symbol was recyclable. Right. It turns out we've been reading it wrong all along, Jill. It's the number in the middle that matters and the arrows that don't matter. But I understand that because if you walk into any restaurant, you see recycling bins out there, you see any garbage can out there, that arrow is basically been uh, subsumed, has been has taken over the, the symbol for recycling. And it's led to what's called wish cycling, which is basically putting everything in the recycling bin because you wish or hope that it can be recycled. <laughs> Makes you feel better. So the EPA wants to replace the chasing arrow symbol with just a, a simple triangle with that code or that number inside, meant solely then for the professionals who sort the plastic and not for the consumer. But beyond the symbol change, there is this much bigger story of why we all seem to think that recycling is the answer to our endless consumption. And also the question of what happens to the other 95% of plastic that doesn't get recycled. I feel like the uh, we're cooked on this one, Jill, regardless of whether they go to triangle or chasing arrows. I feel like everyone's like, oh, just plastic, like throw in the Clorox bottle, throw in the saran wrap, like throw in whatever just came in the Amazon package. Um, I certainly have been guilty of it. I know others have as well. It turns out that each year the world produces 400 million tons of plastic. In the U.S., barely 6% of plastic waste 
was recycled last year, down from 9% in 2018. And we'll get to that in a second. Time Magazine took a dive into the plastic waste problem. uh, And this is what they discovered. The vast majority of the waste ends up in landfills, in oceans, or spread across the land, an endless tide of chemically indestructible junk polluting our coastlines, infiltrating ecosystems, and when it breaks down into microscopic fragments, entering our body as microplastics uh, with unknown health repercussions. Uh, We've been talking about that on this podcast in the past few months. So who's to blame? Well, one of the culprits, big oil. Anticipating the fossil fuel demand would eventually go down because of the rise of electric vehicles, the pressure to make vehicles more fuel efficient, big oil and chemical companies have been doubling down on plastics, investing hundreds of billions of dollars in plastic production. And so they are partially to blame here for perpetrating this idea that you could recycle all of plastic because they're making money off of it. And so they sold this false narrative to us. And so even most advanced recycling projects, which try to handle hard to recycle plastics like plastic bags or takeout containers, have failed because they're too complicated and too expensive. It actually costs more money uh, and is completely inefficient to recycle uh, most forms of plastic. And so in most cases, it goes to the landfill. And we mentioned in 2018, we went from 9% to recycling 6%. Well, what happened? In 2018, China banned garbage imports. We've been exporting all of our plastic garbage around the world, including mainly to China. In 2018, China realized we don't even have enough space for all this global plastic coming our way. And so we've had to look for other places to dump our plastic that you think is getting recycled, but no, 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 no. And so one place, a lot of it's going is Malaysia, Jill. I'll suggest people, and I know we'll link to it in the newsletter. There's a segment John Oliver did on his uh, Last Week Tonight show on HBO, where he uh, gives you a glimpse of what's happening in Malaysia. Just miles upon miles upon miles of just plastic junk from Europe, from the U.S., from around the world. And they get paid to take it on, but it's leading to huge pollution issues and health issues in the country. And that's because there's so much they're burning some of it. So imagine what that is doing to the air. Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned, plastic breaks down, but not small enough. And so you can breathe into your lungs and it can go into your, uh, your body as well uh, in the, in within water or, or, you know, other elements. So as you may have seen in a place near you, uh, many European cities, U.S. cities have imposed plastic bans, uh, bans on single use plastics, uh, though, of course, uh, there's now a waste problem with those reusable bags that everybody's getting. Uh, <laughs> that You know, like you look in your closet and you're like, I have 100 of these now. And so people are now throwing away those bags. And so some states like Maine are trying to impose polluter pay laws, which shift the cost of waste collection from taxpayers to the companies that make and use plastic. California's attorney general has also opened up an investigation into fossil fuel and oil companies, accusing them of perpetuating this decades-long disinformation campaign that you can recycle plastic when, in fact, you cannot. Jill, I was actually just uh, having some cucumbers and hummus uh, before uh, a snack, just before we taped the podcast. And, you know, if you buy those long cucumbers, sometimes they come in plastic, uh, like a saran wrap. And I, following the story, looked at the saran wrap number for the first time and was like, ooh, it's number four. That's not a good plastic. That's going to be hard to recycle. And I didn't put it in the recycling. I put it in the trash because, as we've now learned, it's going to the same place. It's just incredible how much garbage and trash we all produce every day. And you'll see Mosh in a couple of months when baby O is around. The baby is this tiny little seven pound thing, <laughs> which produces so much garbage. Uh, it's, uh, it's incredible. Jill, the average American 
produces five pounds of trash a day. That is 1,800 pounds a year, each of us. Uh, and we, uh, per capita, produce much more than the rest of the world. We tend to be the big wasters here in America. And so we're going to have to figure this out because uh, as they're discovering around the world, plastic sort of infiltrated everything. Uh, and we're going to have to find a solution uh, after all these years. I mean, as they're trying to figure out CO2 emissions, uh, one thing is what's going to replace plastic? Because at some point, this environment's not going to be able to take it anymore. When I was researching this story, a quote from, from one of the experts that had been interviewed uh, really stuck with me because they said, look, the slogan is reduce, reuse, recycle. And everyone just kind of goes to recycle. But really, you should be doing the first two things first. Reduce your waste, reuse your plastics or your glass or whatever. Um, and then at last resort, recycle. I'd like to quote a nine-year-old Moshe who wrote that in the second paragraph of his uh, global warming essay <laughs> from fourth grade. I, I, I apparently had just learned about reduce, reuse, recycle, which is another you know thing that we've learned about for 30 plus years. By the way, getting to the waste thing, just as I dig into this, US, 4% of the world's population, 14% of the world's waste. Number one, baby. That's like a mic drop, Moshe. I really have nothing there. <laughs> nothing more. <laughs> Let's do better, everybody. Let's do better. Jill, we have a lot more to get to in today's speed read. But first, I want to tell everyone about our newest Mo News partner, Shopify. They have a new deal for all of you, whether you're a business owner or have something you have as a hobby that you're looking to eventually sell online. If you haven't heard of Shopify, you may have heard this sound effect before. That's the sound of another sale being made using Shopify. If you're a business owner like me, you're always looking for solutions to get your product out there to as large of a customer base as possible. And Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses around the world. We are right now developing a Mo News merch line this fall and plan to be using Shopify as our hub. Whether you're just an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or your IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business. It has a great checkout platform that really helps turn browsers into buyers. And right now, Shopify is offering the Monus community a special deal. You can sign up right now for $1 per month for a trial period over at shopify.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, all lowercase. Again, $1 per month trial period. Head to shopify.com slash monews to take your business to the next level. And you're going to be hearing a lot of this sound very soon. All right, time now for the speed read from CNN. Robert Bowers, the gunman who murdered 11 worshipers and wounded six others at a Pittsburgh synagogue in 2018, was unanimously sentenced to death by a federal jury on Wednesday. It was the deadliest ever attack on Jewish people in the United States. This is the first federal death penalty imposed under the Biden administration, which has put a moratorium on executions. The decision to sentence the gunman to death had to be unanimous. Otherwise, Bowers would have been sentenced to life in prison without parole. Jurors spent just over 10 hours deliberating over the past two days. This death sentence represents the end of a saga that began on October 27th, 2018, when Bowers burst into the Tree of Life synagogue and shot people with an AR-15 style rifle. Those killed include a 97-year-old great-grandmother, an 87-year-old accountant, and a couple that had been married at the synagogue more than 60 years earlier. Of the six wounded survivors, four were police officers who responded to the scene, and eight people who were inside the building managed to escape unharmed. So Bowers was convicted in June of all 63 counts against him, including hate crime charges. 
Prosecutors had argued that Bowers carried out the killings due to his hatred towards Jewish people, saying, quote, he turned an ordinary Jewish Sabbath into the worst anti-Semitic mass shooting in U.S. history, and he's proud of it. Jill reportedly, he even told a court psychiatrist as this trial was going on that he thought this trial was helping to spread his Jew hate message, uh, and he showed little reaction during the proceedings. Now, his defense team emphasized that his difficult childhood, his mental health issues, including what they say is a delusional belief system and diagnoses of both schizophrenia and epilepsy, uh, was to blame here. So he never tried to say he didn't commit the crimes, but they were trying to avoid the death penalty here. He says that his mental uh, illness is what led to his belief that Jews were perpetrating a genocide of white people. Bottom line, the jury didn't buy it. The judge appeared emotional while thanking the jury after the decision. He said he has thanked hundreds of jurors with a similar speech over the years, but, quote, I've never delivered it with as much sincerity as I did just now. One of the victim's family members speaking out uh, yesterday saying this sentence is a testament to our justice system and a message to all that this type of heinous act will not be tolerated. Uh, For uh, years, Jill, prior to this attack, Bowers uh, was posting hateful comments about immigrants, about Jewish people on social media. Uh, He criticized uh, migrants as invaders. uh, And so he targeted the synagogue. I still remember um, it was a Saturday uh, and being off that day and then having to go into the CBS uh, broadcast center to produce special editions of the evening news on that Saturday and just how, how challenging all these mass shootings. So challenging. But, you know, this was one of those stories where as a Jew uh, who, you know, grew up going to a synagogue, uh, it really, really hit home. And I, I just remember just having a, a very challenging time um, covering the story uh, those days. I have since been in a synagogue where I have I've been nervous. If, if you hear a noise, it makes you jump. You know, you're looking at every door. I, I always make sure there's a ton of security. Yeah. So I'm with you. It was one of those um, horrific attacks that still actually uh, has impacted me. It's I mean, mass shootings now have led all of us to now look around for exits and think about strategies whether you're in a movie theater, whether you're in a restaurant, whether you're in a shopping mall, whether you're in a church, uh, in the case of the Charleston church shooting, or in a synagogue, schools, etc. Uh, you know, the first thing you go in the room is like, okay, where are my exits? What would I do if there's some sort of scenario? Uh, and you flinch at every sound when typically you're like, oh, something must have dropped. You're like, I need to actually get eyes on that uh, and see what happens. So I know it's important for the people of Pittsburgh uh, to get that justice. And, you know, hopefully it helps Uh, you're never going to repair the wounds, but hopefully it starts to help people have some closure there. All right, from CNBC, Chinese regulators have proposed rules that would limit the smartphone screen time of people under the age of 18 to less than two hours a day. The radical draft rules laid out by the increasingly powerful Cyberspace Administration of China, or the CAC, highlight Beijing's desire to exert control over more parts of the country's digital life, And they're part of this broader push by Chinese authorities to curb and prevent addiction among those under 18 to apps and smartphones. Chinese officials warned online firms not to provide services that induce addiction or are detrimental to the physical and mental health of kids. In 2021, China introduced regulation that restricted teens under 18 from playing online video games for more than three hours per week. And in China, their version of TikTok already has a 60-minute limit per day for users also under the age of 18. I wanted to include that because I just think there's such a stark difference between that and what we're doing here in the United States. 
Absolutely. And you also know in China, when they make the government makes rules because of the surveillance state there, uh, that they'll actually be able to hold you to it uh, and, uh, you know, arrest you or lock you in or all the various things we've seen in recent years um, as China tries to enforce its laws. The drafted rules require smartphones to have what's called minor mode for all kids under the age of 18. That will allow parents to manage what their kids see and allow Internet service providers to show content based on the user's age. The draft rules here split children into different age brackets, and there are different rules here, Jill, in the various proposals. So children under the age of three should be shown songs and audio-focused content. Then from ages three to seven, you are restricted to 40 minutes a day on your smartphone. And then the next bracket, kids ages eight to 15, can use their phone for only an hour a day. And then 16 and 17-year-olds have that two-hour restriction. Uh, Separately, across the board for all kids under the age of 18. Uh, They will not be able to access the internet on their smartphones between the times of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., according to these draft regulations. Uh, There's a whole bunch of manufacturers here, including Apple, by the way, that are watching this closely, see how it'll be implemented. And frankly, I imagine a bunch of countries around the world that'll look to this and see uh, its effects and see whether, while this seems draconian and restrictive, Uh, and something that might work for China, whether any version of this would work in the U.S., Europe, or anywhere else in the world. All right, from NBC News, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Wednesday that he and his wife Sophie are separating. The Prime Minister and his wife said in a joint statement posted to their official Instagram accounts that they had, quote, many meaningful and difficult conversations prior to their decision. Yeah, Jill, this was all the talk of the Canadian community who follows us uh, over here at Mo News. Many of them surprised this was announced while he was still prime minister. He's been prime minister for eight years. Their statement goes on to say that both parents will be a constant presence in their children's lives, and Canadians can expect to often still see the family together. In fact, they'll be together on vacation beginning next week. Sophie and Justin first met as children in Montreal, then crossed paths again at a charity event in 2003, uh, then marrying in 2005, about 18 years ago. They have three children, two sons and a daughter. Jill, both uh, Justin and Sophie Trudeau in recent years have been very open in talking about difficulties in their marriage in media interviews, saying, you know, they had challenges, their marriage has its challenges, but they have been able to overcome them. But now, of course, they've made the decision to separate. Uh, And a random fact for you, Jill, that was noted in the Canadian press, I was reading the Globe and Mail on Wednesday, Justin's father, Pierre Trudeau, who was prime minister in the late 70s and early 80s, was actually the last prime minister to be divorced while he was prime minister, he div- he he got a divorce from Justin Trudeau's mother uh, during his time uh, leading Canada back then in the early eighties. Maybe just the pressure of the office. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> Listen, politics takes a toll when you get into public office these days. In most parts of the world, uh, it puts your family in focus. It puts your spouse in focus. Uh, and you know, many spouses here in the U.S., first ladies have been very open about what the presidency, what leadership does to them. Uh, in particular, Michelle Obama has talked very openly about it um, in recent years, what what it meant to deal with the scrutiny, because again, your spouse is the leader, but you know the entire family, every move, every outfit, everything you do is scrutinized, and, and it's, it's a lot. From the Washington Post, a quick update on the Hollywood writer strike. The Writers Guild of America planning to meet with studio representatives tomorrow. That is the first time the two sides will come face to face at a bargaining table since early May. 
That is when the union called a strike that now involves nearly every writer and actor in the industry. The union says that it was the studios who reached out to them and requested a meeting to discuss negotiations. Oh, they might have a new deal to offer. We're going to be on the lookout for what that might be. Uh, It has been three months since the thousands of unionized TV and film writers walked off their jobs over complaints about eroding earnings in this whole streaming world, as well as a lack of worker protections related to artificial intelligence, promises that they won't let AI take over their writing jobs. The strike then expanded dramatically in July. That's when tens of thousands of performers in the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, all the actors joined the strike and shut down basically all Hollywood productions. So it's unclear here what the studios will be offering on Friday in hopes of breaking this impasse uh, or whether they have a similar offer at some point to the actors, but they've invited uh, the writers over first. So we'll see what they have to say. And now to our favorite story of the day. A zoo in eastern China is denying suggestions that its bears are really just people dressed in costumes after a video (laughs) of one standing like a human went viral on social media. Footage of the Malayan sun bear standing on its hind legs sparked speculation on the Chinese internet over the weekend, but the zoo insisted it is really a bear, just a little smaller and different to the ones that we're used to. The video of the bear standing and interacting with tourists circulated widely online after a 15-second clip was posted on the Chinese version of TikTok on July 27th. Trending topics on the subject attracted millions of views on the platform as people questioned whether this bear was actually a human in disguise, given its behavior, as well as the visible folds of fur on its body that resemble humans that were wearing ill-fitting clothing. (laughs) A lot of theories were circulating. Yeah, Jill, we'll link to this in the show notes if you haven't caught it already. We posted a reel that has gotten a wealth of comments from all of you. We also posted a poll on the Instagram account. So the zoo put out a message Uh, on social media on Sunday from the perspective of the bear in the video. Her name is Angela. Uh, the, The statement said as follows. Some people think I stand like a human, and it seems that you don't understand me that much. Previously, some tourists thought that I was too tiny to be a bear. I have to emphasize again, I am a Malayan sun bear, not a black bear, not a dog, a sun bear. Uh, the creative person running the social media account over there at the zoo. Wildlife experts, though, agree. One telling NBC, sun bears can be very human-like. They stand like humans. They walk like humans. And sun bear mothers can carry babies with their hands and walk by their hind legs. Uh, They have that extra fur in the back that look like ill-fitting pants, apparently to elude predators. Uh, We should also keep in mind that sun bears are the smallest members of the bear family, uh, somewhere between 60 to 150 pounds. So again, human-like size, human-like weight, uh, and appears, in this case, Jill, uh, human-like mannerisms. So before I read the explanation, I thought for sure this was just a person dressing up because I've never seen a bear stand up that straight and wave. (laughs) And apparently the bear has learned with the crowds of the zoo that like the waving works and gives them food. Now, one that has come up, and this has been an issue at multiple Chinese zoos, is the treatment of the animals and whether the bear is getting enough food, which might explain why the bear was, you know, being so direct with the crowd though if you watch that video and i watched it several times as i know many of you have so when he when the bear is standing when angela is standing angela looks human-like right but when angela sits back down it very much looks like the movement of a bear again so i 
I would uh, tell most of you to watch the end of the video where the bear sits down because you're like, oh, that's not a human-like uh, mannerism right there. So the first part, human-like. Second part, bear-like. Experts say, this is a bear. The zoo says, this is a bear. Now, one of the reasons for the skepticism, Chinese zoos have been known in the past to try to fake animals. And there was a case of them drawing lines on a donkey and calling it a zebra. There uh, was a dog. Uh, there's a dog that looks like a lion, and they called it a lion. Uh, they apparently dyed the hair of a dog and called it a wolf. Now, these are all different zoos, not the zoo in question here. But given that there have been multiple instances of Chinese zoos, again, faking animals, people thought there could be some truth to it. But uh, for the most part, it appears the majority of you uh, agree with the wildlife experts that this is, in fact, a real bear. Um, let me pull up the latest poll here, Jill. With about 15,000 votes in at the time of this recording, Jill, 72% of the Mo News community, after going through the Instagram slides, believes it's a bear. But 30% of you, not so much. You think it's a person in there. All right. Mo News is on Team Bear, for the most part. <laughs> All right. On this day in history, we begin in 1492, the year known for a couple things, including the voyage of Christopher Columbus. And on this day in 1492, he set sail for his first transatlantic voyage, uh, setting he was departing from Spain with his three small ships. You know the names from fourth grade, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. All right, fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in history, Germany declared war on France in World War I, as all of the countries were declaring war on each other there, uh, what was called the Great War, uh, and then would later become known as World War I once World War II happens. On this day in 1984, American gymnast Mary Lou Retton won the all-around event at the LA Olympic Games, becoming the first ever American woman to win an individual Olympic gold medal in gymnastics. Uh, now we've really become dominant in the recent decades, Jill. And uh, next year in Paris should be another case where we've talked about this on the pod. We're going to have three former uh, gold medalists, all around gold medalists, competing to be on the 2024 team. And we end here with a bit of pop culture history. On this day in 2001, The Princess Diaries, starring Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews, opened in theaters 22 years ago today. And as I mentioned at the top, on this day in history, when it comes to music, two songs that are nearly impossible to get out of your head once you hear them. Firstly, on this day in 1987, Rick Astley released his song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, we will spare it. We will spare you the Rick roll because we love you, the Mo News audience. But just so you know, on this day in history, 36 years ago, uh, the Rick roll, the song that gave you the Rick roll first came out. Dare I ask, Mosh, what is the Rick roll? Oh, Jill, this was the internet meme that took over online, I would say, mid-2000s to early teens. Uh, you might remember people would send you a link uh, saying, hey, like, I need you to look over this document or look over this website. And the link would take you to a website where the Rick Astley never going to give you up was playing on repeat. Do you remember that? Were you ever the victim of a Rickroll? You're lucky if you were. I wasn't, but I feel like I would be relieved if somebody, if I was thinking that I had to go look over documents and it was just sort of this viral fun video, I think I'd be happy. Well, <laughs> the few, the proud, the happy to be Rickrolled represented by Jill Wagner, everybody. Maybe it's because I feel left out now in the year 2023. You, you were left out of the meme of memes from 06 <laughs> to 2011. And finally here on this day in 1996, 27 years ago today, the Macarena hit number one on the U.S. music charts. 
the original Los Del Rio recording of Macarena was already hit in Latin America and had gained some popularity in pockets, but it hadn't really exploded yet in 96 in America. They go to a Miami radio station and the radio station says, listen, it's a great song in Spanish. It has a good beat, but we need some English in the song. So they bring in two producers and they would end up recording the English language verses for the female voices in the Macarena. So the remix of the Macarena, not the OG Macarena, is the one that goes viral here. So, Moshe, you decided not to play Never Gonna Give You Up, but instead you want to torture our listeners with the Macarena. Got it. I guess I should apologize to everybody <laughs> for that. But I figured I should play one of them. And one of them, since it was used as kind of a viral, uh, annoying thing, uh, I was going to leave you with Macarena. So there you have it, folks. I hope you'll still come around tomorrow. We promise not to play the Macarena, at least until August 3rd of next year. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. It will help us grow and it will make you look smart. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Yeah, those reviews matter. Uh, we have more than a thousand five-star reviews on Apple. We're gradually getting there on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener, a review would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and again, if you're looking for more content, looking to support us, do that over at Mo News Premium, over at mo.news, offering a free 30-day trial right now with the code Mo News Trial. All right, bye everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.